there, everyone. Welcome to the Humans of Healthcare podcast. My name is Nafi, and I am a fourth-year medical student at the University of Leeds. Today, we are joined with George, who will be talking about their experience with Tremor as a surgical trainee. George, could you please introduce yourself? Uh, hello, everyone. My name is George Greenleaves. I am a uh, general surgical trainee in Yorkshire and the Humber, and, and I'm just coming towards the end of a... Um, and out of programming and working as the Senior Medical Education Fellow at Bradford Teaching Hospitals. Um, so I'm a surgical trainee with a career-long interest in medical education, um, and I feel very old because when Nafi was warming me up for this podcast, I realised that I have now been a doctor for longer than I was a medical student. Um, and I've come on the podcast to talk about a bit about my own experience, but more broadly about... Um, physiological tremor, which is something that affects medical students and doctors when they're doing practical procedures. Can you please explain what a physiological tremor is? Yeah, so a tremor is an involuntary um, rhythmic movement. I think that's the neurological definition of a tremor. Um, And obviously that can be pathological in a lot of contexts. But all humans have a tremor as a as a um, basically as a consequence of us having to hold our limbs in, in space. Our muscles expand and contract even when they're in a, a steady state, and that causes a tremor, which in some people is visible and in some people is invisible, and that's a physiological tremor. Um, so sadly, nobody has completely steady hands. Um, but one of the things that can make that physiological tremor worse, they're sort of um, pharmacological factors, so things like caffeine and certain medications, um, but also physiology as well, so being tired um, and muscular fatigue, uh, but also stress, so particularly anxiety, but also other emotions as well. So excitement or anger can make that worse too. Okay. Um, can I ask, what brought you on here to talk about tremor? What was the thing that made you want to talk about it publicly? So I think two twofold really. So one of the things I've done this year when I've been working in education is I've done, I'm doing a master's in medical education and I've looked at uh, surgical trainees experience or physiological tremor. Um, there's a good saying in academia that all research is me-search and I think that was partly motivated by, well, I think it was very much motivated by my own experience of being a junior surgical trainee and finding that I'd get very nervous in theatre doing a practical procedure under supervision and finding that my hands were shaking. Um, And for a long time, I thought that that was a problem with me. And for a while, I thought this is probably going to be something that will stop me from um, continuing in my chosen specialty. Um, And now that I've become a bit more senior, it has virtually disappeared. Just come back every now and again but I found ways and means of dealing with it and in my role this year of teaching medical students I noticed that it's something that does affect people quite a lot and in my discussion with surgical trainees I think it is something that is pretty common and something that as medics we feel very uncomfortable discussing. So one of the things I wanted to achieve was to try and sort of raise awareness about it because I think knowing that it is a a thing that affects people is probably the first step to kind of uh, being able to manage it in yourself. 
So what proportion of people that you've seen, like how, how does it affect it? Yeah. Medical students, trainees, and to what severity? I think so. I think the classic is um, there's a time in every every. So I'll give you an example that's relevant to surgical training, an example that's relevant to medical students. So there's a time in every surgical trainee's career where you are the first per you are left at the end of the operation normally to close the skin of the wound, um, which requires you to normally do a nice neat subcuticular suture. Um, and I have seen many surgical trainees, more junior than me, find that very hard because they have a tremor. And that's as a consequence of being watched, not only by you, the person supervising them, but also by the anaesthetist, the other theatre staff as well. Um, and that is uh, a situation I remember very well from my own training. And uh, even closing a short wound feels like it's taking 100 years. But the one I see a lot in medical students is every medical student's least favorite practical procedure is intravenous cannulation because it has a lot of steps and it is relatively fiddly. And I teach quite a few students, you know, cannulation. And I've had a significant number this year say, oh, this makes me really nervous or my hands are really shaky and I find it really hard to advance the flashback and do the needle. And... That's true. And I remember that very clearly from when I was a medical student, um, that you do these procedures and as a medical student, you're, you're often just given a procedure to do with not much introduction or preparation time. You should always be under supervision, really, but that sometimes um, makes the situation worse. So I, it's difficult for me to give you a hard number as to how common it is, um, but a degree of tremor is almost universal. Uh, and if you get people to do practical procedures under scrutiny, often in an uncomfortable position, when they're a bit tired and probably over-caffeinated, um, it's certainly something that happens frequently. In your opinion, why do you think there isn't more awareness and conversation about this? Because if it affects a significant amount of people surely there would be more people talking about it. Yeah, I think it, it boils down to a couple of things, really. So fundamentally, it boils down, I think, uh, medicine we select a lot for type A people, um, people who have been perfectionists and always been successful in everything that they've done, people who have often performed at a very high level in something like music or sport. Um, and I think the... Um, the mental strain of feeling like you're not able to cope with the pressure of doing something is very challenging to our perception of who we are as successful people who are always able to succeed. And within reference to my own background within surgical training, so the surgical trainees I interviewed for my research could all describe an occasion where they had seen tremor in someone else or experienced it themselves. And I think fundamentally the reason that we don't want to discuss it happening is because it really, um, it seems very contradictory to what society perceives a surgeon to be. So the universal perception of a surgeon is that someone who has steady hands, which is fair enough because you do have to have a degree of practical skill to do stuff. Um, but nobody can have steady hands all of the time. Um, and as I've said, it is something that 
in most people will get better with a bit of time and a bit of support and as they become more experienced at what they do um but i think certainly that that initial phase is very isolating for people do you have any strategies you've mentioned that your you've mentioned that you struggled with your tremor initially but as you've gone through training that has sort of reduced or alleviated itself do you have any particular strategy that you've done to help combat this or is there something else that helped you as well along the way i think there's a few things so there's things that you can do on a personal level and this is what i talk a lot to students about so Let's take cannulation, for example, because I know that some of the people who listen to this podcast will be stressed about doing cannulas. Um, you're often, as a medical student, you know, floating around looking for something to do. Someone will say, oh, do you want to go do this cannula? So you don't get much time, really, to mentally prepare for it. But there are things you can do to make it easier. So a, tr- a physiological tremor will be worse if you're holding yourself in an uncomfortable position because your muscles will have to work harder and it will make you more tremulous. So I always tell students to do any practical procedure. If you can, where possible, sit down. So for cannulas, try and sit down. So I'm quite tall um, and it will save your back as much as anything. So sit down, make yourself comfortable. And the other thing I would say is try and curate your space, you know, your sterile field or your cannula pack or whatever, in such a way that it's all set up and ready to go. So you don't have to worry about doing any of those bits. So I tell medical students all the time, when you set up to do your cannula, open everything, draw up your flash, make sure everything's open, put things in the order that you're going to need them. And that way, when you reach the critical juncture of the procedure, which is, you know, you've got flashback or you've got the cannula in and then you get really excited and your hands are a bit shaky and you're fumbling around desperately trying to open something with one hand. And so that, and um, idea of setting everything up is called maison place. So that's a French term which chefs use because chefs will do all their prep and they'll set it, you know, all their chopped vegetables and whatever, they'll set it out in the order that they're going to use it. And I think if you do a procedural specialty, that's something that you learn with time. You have your way that you want to set up the tray or the cannula pack. Um, but think about those things, you know. I, d- I would never expect a medical student to go and get cannula in in under 30 seconds. I'm expecting you to be slower than a, you know me or someone who's been a doctor for a little while. So make yourself comfortable and set things up. I think one of the things that is people are not great of is people are not great at being aware of how learners perceive them as intimidating or not. So to give you an example... Uh, your listeners can't see me, but I'm a six foot three large man with a bald head and a beard. And I've tried um, through various experiences of being an OSCE examiner to cultivate a neutral expression, but my neutral expression just looks furious. Um, so I consider my, you know, I think that people, a lot of people see me as quite intimidating. So where possible, I try and give people space, make a joke. And that's really hard because you can't control who your supervisor is. Um, and like so many things in medicine, you sometimes just have to develop a bit of a thick skin, but that comes with time. Um, so make yourself comfortable, 
set up your your station embrace failure would be one of my tips so i think so much of this is driven by a constant need to be a brilliant all the time and in no practical procedure are you ever going to be brilliant the first time you do it um and i think one of the things that really does a lot to diffuse your anxiety about performing practical procedures is the knowledge that sometimes no one can get the cannula in or sometimes a consultant anesthetist missed the cannula or you know sometimes the consultant surgeon can't do you know can't make that bit look particularly neat because that's just how the tissues are um and you will you, you know things go wrong and i think with a bit of time and a bit of experience you just get used to that um so make yourself comfortable embrace failure and get comfortable with the idea of being unsuccessful some of the time and i think the other thing is try and establish a support network so i remember feeling really pretty low about my surgical performance anxiety when i was quite a junior surgical trainee and i thought i've got nothing to lose i'm just going to ask some of my mates if it affects them and they all said yes they all say i hate operating with mr so and so or miss x because i just you know i feel like i've got disco hands i can't do anything and um, and i remember actually being in a situation where um i was doing a procedure as a, a junior surgical trainee and my consultant was unscrubbed behind me uh, providing i think what could be generously described as some fairly forthright feedback on my technique and i just remember you know feeling pretty low about the whole thing at the end and i just remember the scrub nurse saying when mr so and so arrived at this trust they were exactly the same and look at them now and i think that's really important and um you know goes a long way i think into trying to resolve that feeling of isolation and the final point i would make would be if you really think it is causing you significant problems to the point that you are finding any practical procedure like virtually undoable i think it's really important that you don't see your gp i'm talking about the normal range of physiological tremor here but some people tremor can be pathological and also some people if it's really causing you significant problems there are options so things like low dose beta blockers are available so i think the important thing now trying to make things as easy as possible for yourself and that's in terms of how you set up embracing the fact that not everyone is brilliant at practical procedures when they start and sometimes it does go wrong and finally developing a support network and um seeking help when appropriate wow that's a fantastic summary of points to take away uh, i do have more questions i want oh, to yeah, ask you still, yeah yeah um so how can the issue of tremor be incorporated into medical education to increase awareness and provide support being from an educator's point of view yourself i think it's really hard because i think it's more something that i think supervisors should be aware of and one of the the outcomes are still very much working on this but one of the things i sort of wanted to get out of my masters research is 
working towards you know, how would we create like a toolkit for supervisors to discuss this with the trainee because when I was doing my research quite a lot of the participants talked about um, they felt that people knew it was a thing and they said that often consultants or supervisors would sort of allude to the fact that they recognized that is something that happens to lots of people but it wasn't always addressed in a particularly positive way so an example of this would be um so a positive example of this would be lots of people said that they found humor could be quite disarming so they said you know one trainee said i was operating with a consultant who I really liked and I was feeling a bit nervous, a bit tremulous, and they were just like, oh, you know, did you have too much coffee this morning or something like that? Or just made a comment that diverted the attention away from from that particular aspect of the operation. Whereas other people said that you're doing something, you're getting a bit stressed about it, your hands are shaking a bit, and they said that their supervisor was like, well, why are you shaking? You should stop doing that. Um and I've always thought that that is probably a reflection on those people's experience of how they were trained. Um, which, and I, I sometimes just, you know, maybe not everybody has it. Some people have very steady hands from the get-go. Great for them. But I think we're all on a bell curve somewhere um, and very, very few people have the natural kind of the natural flair for stuff that I think they expect themselves to have, if that makes sense. So I spoke to a one surgical trainee who had previously competed to a very high level in sport. And they said, I love doing practical stuff. I consider it very, I'm very good at those things, but I just can't understand why this happens to me when I operate. And um, so I think it's more, Something that you kind of, medicine is very bad for people just making comments that are hurtful. I think because we feel like we should say something. So when I'm trying to think about the thought process behind why people say, why you're handshaking, I think it's just because they feel awkward and they feel like they have to say something. Um, but I think creating you know, there are lots of strategies that you can use as a trainer. So creating space, allowing time for practice, giving your trainees opportunity to discuss how that made them feel. Um, and sometimes there's a bit of a leadership element to this. So within my own specialty, for example, um, actually, you know, I'm going to try and give an example not from my own specialty. So when I was a medical student, I really hated doing cannulas in the anaesthetic room because I always felt really like you're very much under pressure. You've got the patient watching you, you've got the anaesthetist, you've got an operating department practitioner. You may well have another doctor watching you as well. And I think the best examples I had there were people who were like, okay, so George is going to do the line. We need to, you know, it's going to take him five minutes or whatever. Just give him a bit of time to do that. Because um, we're all under pressure and we're all stressed. And sometimes it's just really nice if the person who's in the kind of supervisory role is like, I'm creating a bit of space for teaching here. Okay, it's on me. I'm going to take over at such and such a time if things aren't going well. But for the time being, you know, we are training this person. Uh, which 
is a conversation within within surgical training as well. So I think how do we um, embed it in education? I think is more in terms of we make this a supervision issue and we discuss it with supervisors about how they can support people. This brings me on quite nicely to my next point. If we look at it from the flip side, so let's say you're a trainee or a student and you're running into these issues with um, someone who is supervising you, what do you think would be an appropriate way to approach the subject to ensure that you are getting the most out of the training that you're getting? So if you're the trainee and you want to yes. approach the subject with your supervisor. Exactly. So really interesting that you, you make that point. There's performance anxiety, which research actually suggests is very common in surgeons, but very understudied, um, is very well studied in professional musicians. Um, and one of the um appropriate like one of the things that's quite well established in um say music tuition is uh, people saying, oh, I feel like I struggle with my nerves and people saying, okay, well, let's talk about how you can do that. And I think for a number of reasons, surgery is less good at that. But I think that there are lots of very caring and insightful surgeons out there who are better, who are very good at um, discussing the non- you know, the non-technical or emotional aspects of surgery. And the advice I always give to junior doctors is you might be allocated a supportive, you might be allocated a a supportive clinical supervisor, and I really hope that that's the case. In a department, you can generally find someone that you trust, regardless of whether or not they're a formal clinical supervisor or um, a... Right, regardless of whether you're your former supervisor or not. And I think it's always useful to find someone you can trust and just say, this is the issue I'm having. And I think that doesn't always need to go to a consultant. So, for example, if you're an F1 and you feel very anxious about doing something, we find you really struggling with cannulas or whatever, you could always come and talk to a reg about it or a, a, an SHO. Because I think sometimes it's just you just need a bit of reassurance about someone else's experience. So a good tip for medicine is if you ever feel something's gone badly, if you find someone, a supportive senior colleague, they will generally tell you a story that makes you feel better about themselves, normally about their own experience. Um, So the story I always tell people is, uh, you know, people get nervous or whatever when they're suturing the skin. And so I always tell them of a true story, which is when I was a cardiothoracic acid show, I'd spent what felt like 100 years suturing this big, long stenotomy wound. And I got to the end, and the suture broke, and the whole thing basically fell apart, which is probably oh, no. the lowest moments of my medical career. But, you know, all that happened was I had to swallow some pride and do it again. I learned a lot from doing that. Um, and so much of it, I think, is, is driven by we're medics. We always succeed at what we do. I've always been in the... In the you know, top decile, or I always did this, or X, Y, and Z. So I think a really important thing as a trainee is to just say, I find this bit hard. And and probably most people will say, yes, I've seen that before. Um, Or 
how do you think you could think about about doing that? You know, how do you think you could think about addressing that within um, with reference to whatever particular task it is? And a hard thing is ultimately what does improve particularly performance anxiety about practical procedures is just doing a lot of them. Um, so a bit of time, but we're we're always hardwired, aren't we, to want a quick fix? So I think a supportive colleague who can provide reassurance is a really important tool in that in dealing with it from that aspect. So we've come to the end of the podcast. Last thing I want to ask you is what is the takeaway message that you want listeners to take away? I think the takeaway message that I want people to take away is if you feel that your hands shake when you do a practical procedure, that's normal. And that's probably related to lots of things. Some of the things you can, tr- can control and some of them you, you can't necessarily. Um, you are not the only doctor in the world who that or medical student who that has affected. Um, there are things you can do. So make yourself comfortable. Set up for your procedure. Mentally rehearse it. And there are people you can speak to. So sometimes a supportive colleague is the best person to speak to. But if you're finding that you're really struggling and it's really affecting your ability to do something or your mental health, I think it's really important when you speak to your GP. Um, That's my take-home message. Great. Thank you very much, George, for coming on to the Humans of Healthcare podcast. You are welcome. And that is it. Listeners affected by the discussions on the podcast are advised to visit the University of Leeds Mental Health Support Area or GP for further support. Please be aware that the Humans of Healthcare is not a substitute for professional counselling or support. Humans of Healthcare may give information or guidance that could bring about a positive change. You can follow us on Facebook, Humans of Healthcare Leeds Podcast, Instagram at Humans of Healthcare Podcast, and Twitter at Humans of Health P. We are looking to get more students and staff in healthcare education and provision on the show to talk about their experiences. If you would like to be a guest, please submit a bullet point of key messages of your story to the Humans of Healthcare at leads.ac.uk. Remember, we are not superheroes. We are human. <laughs>